Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. Let's have all the, oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian Pigeon Mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, Brady PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey guys, welcome back to Thick and Thin with me, Katie Bilotti. Hope you all are doing well. Hope you all are in the mood for a murder mystery because as you saw from the title of today's episode, you kind of already had a feeling probably that I had a mystery up my sleeve, an interesting story from history to share with you guys. But before I get into that, and it is a good one, so you're going to want to stay tuned, I just wanted to chat with you guys about last week, which was New York Fashion Week. It, I think, is still kind of going, but I dedicated like a week to these events and all the stuff going on because truly I do so many other things project wise that, you know, the events, the the parties, all that. It's so, so, so fun. Don't get me wrong, but it's very draining and a bit distracting, to be honest, because I feel as an influencer, it's funny because I feel like if you live in New York, a lot of people assume that you're a fashion influencer. And I just don't feel as though I am a fashion influencer. I think I'm just a life life influencer. I'm just like, here's what I do. Influencing like the actual art of influencing people to do things, to buy things, to whatever. I feel like that's so little of what I do. I find so many problems with that term, but I know it is kind of all encompassing and it's something that's normal now, maybe a little bit less taboo than it used to be. I don't even remember. I was trying to remember what I used to refer to myself as when I first started this whole thing. I always just called myself a blogger or a vlogger, but I guess what I do is a bit more complex than that. I don't know. In the the meantime, I'll be calling myself an influencer. But anyway, New York Fashion Week events, parties, so much fun, a lot of talking, a lot of mingling, a lot of meeting new faces, new people. It was really cool to meet new people. I feel a lot of people were in town from elsewhere, And so it was cool to see all these people that I had seen online or had never seen online and meeting them in the flesh and being like, wow, we have things in common. We do the same thing for a living and we get each other. It's so cool to meet people that get you in the social media department because it's one of those things where it can be kind of lonely, I think. Like, obviously, I work from home. I am kind of just by myself all day every day unless I really go out there and collaborate with people. But it's so different from my corporate job because you guys know I was in a corporate role. I obviously don't shut up about it, like my corporate life, because I try to pull things from that since it's more relatable, obviously, to have a nine to five than to be an influencer. Like influencers, it's it's a whole new breed. It's very different and something that I still don't understand every day. But 
when I was in my corporate role, I obviously had coworkers. I had people that I could talk to every day that understood what I was working on in this beauty company that I worked for. And with influencing, it's like, you know, you talk to other people, but you, there's a fine line between it being, are we friends? Are we working together? And it's one of those things where I find a very like thin wavering line between. So you have a bunch of friends that are influencers, but they also kind of, they help you in a coworker sense. Like if I don't know what, you know, the best way to do something is, or I have this brand partnership I'm working on and I want some advice from someone that's worked with this brand before or really kills it at this certain kind of content that I want to get into, I'll just reach out to one of my friends and it's almost, it's very similar to a coworker kind of thing where you're like asking someone a bit more senior than you how to do something. It's just so weird. Anyway, New York Fashion Week was cool for that reason because I felt like I was like, you know, seen for what I do and my my role was understood by so many other people because everyone else does it. Like seeing my friends whip out their phones and start talking to their phone, like talking to their Instagram stories. It's cool to be around that because I feel crazy sometimes when I do that in front of my friends that don't do social media for a living, you know? So anyway, refreshing breath of fresh air last week did actually feel a bit fresh in the air last week in general because I feel, I feel it guys, fall is upon us. It's coming. I can feel it. I I always get this moment where I'm like, it's going to be fall tomorrow. And then it's 90 degrees again. So we're in that weird spot where I can't quite bring out my fall stuff yet, but we're getting there. Pumpkin spice is out. So it has to be coming soon, right? Anyway, those are my thoughts of the moment. I'm going to stop saying anyway, because I feel like I just said it seven times. My lovely editor is going to be like, Katie, stop saying anyway. Today on Thick and Thin, buckle up. It's going to be a murder mystery. This is the true story of Thelma Todd, a bright, breezy, wisecracking film actress slash restaurant owner whose 1935 death shocked most in Hollywood, but not all. So you guys know I have a thing for murder mysteries, as many of us do these days. I don't know if you guys have seen that show called Only Murders in the Building on Hulu, I believe it is. Really good show. Selena Gomez. There's a bunch of like all-star actors in this show. Tina Fey. Uh, Steve Martin, et cetera. Really great show, but it really confirmed that many of us are just obsessed with murder mysteries and we're not sure why. Like, I truly don't know. I did do that episode a little while back on, you know, it was called In Love with a Serial Killer, why we're obsessed with murder mysteries, serial killer stuff. But I still, like, to the core of it, don't understand my infatuation with stories. I think it's almost kind of like a self preservation, like, self, like, I want to know why someone was murdered. So maybe I don't get murdered. I don't know. Maybe that's it. But anyway, over the weekend, I went down a total rabbit hole on Reddit, looking into some mysteries in Hollywood specifically that I'd never heard of before and came across the story of this woman, Thelma Todd. In an article written for the Chicago Tribune about Thelma, quoted Loni Anderson, who was another Hollywood actress at the time. And she said this quote that really stuck out to me that sent shivers down my spine. And it said this, it said, she always picked the wrong guys. She was a party girl. And this quote stuck out to me for many reasons. I think the main one was because it's just so darn relatable. Like, I wonder if people saw, 
if people saw my life, you know, last week, especially New York Fashion Week, like all the parties I went to, things like that, just my life here in the city in full color, the fun, the parties, the many dates that I go on. I wonder if they would also label me as someone who picks the wrong men and is a party girl. And I know that there's more to me than just she picks the wrong guys and she parties line. And upon reading that line in the article about Thelma, this woman I don't know, I knew that there was more to her too. There must be more, or at least I would see if there was more. So today I'll be telling the true story of Thelma Todd, a wannabe school teacher turned beauty queen, turned actress, whose death at just 29 years old, years young, was ruled a suicide, although much of the evidence points to something different entirely, something much darker. And a quick trigger warning if subjects about suicide and abuse are sensitive to you, check out another episode of mine for a lighter topic. So let's take things to the beginning. Thelma Todd was born in Lawrence, Massachusetts on July 29th, 1906. Her father was John Todd, an upholsterer slash corrupt politician from Ireland, and her mother Alice was an immigrant from Canada. She had an older brother, William, but he passed away in an accident in 1910. Didn't really find much on that, but her father, according to the movie White Hot, The Mysterious Murder of Thelma Todd, was a distant, abusive, unloving man. And we'll talk more about her mother later, but despite having a bit of a rough home life, Thelma kept her spirits high. She was a bright student in school, had these big dreams of becoming a school teacher one day. So after graduating high school in 1923, she enrolled in college in Massachusetts in the hopes of making her dreams of teaching a reality. So while Thelma's ultimate goal was to become a school teacher, she loved education. She aspired to teach kids. That was her goal. But her mother, Alice, had some different ideas for her life. Mind you, this is the 20s. So obviously the idea of what a woman should do was a bit different. And her mother had an antiquated view of what a woman should do. And so her mother really wanted Thelma to become a beauty queen. Like she wanted her to compete in pageants. So in 1925, Thelma entered the pageantry. She won the title of Miss Massachusetts, which obviously excited her mother. It's unclear if Thelma even liked beauty pageants, even liked being this beauty queen. And we'll talk about, you know, a bit later, she had some body insecurity, things like that. So I'm assuming it wasn't something she wanted to do. She was doing it to please her mother. And obviously in the process, her goal of becoming a teacher was just slipping out of her fingers. Like it was just getting further and further away from her as a possibility. So this caused her to switch gears into becoming an actress instead. And it doesn't even seem like she wanted to be an actress, but this was just in the cards for Thelma. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
So she started out acting in some comedy short films, which put her in the gaze of Hollywood talent scouts. So Thelma was signed to Paramount and acted in her first full-length film at just 21 years old. It was a romantic comedy called Fascinating Youth, where she played Lorraine Lane. And from there, the roles and films snowballed. In 1928 and 1929 alone, she was featured in 20 pictures and not just comedies. She also did dramas and gothic horror films. So before she knew it, Thelma's star was rising in Hollywood, big time. In 1932, Thelma was approached by director Roland West with a business proposition. She was 26 at the time, and Roland had just directed Thelma in the 1931 film Corsair, and the two had been an informal couple since then. On the low, because obviously Roland was married, they're always married, neither would confirm or deny if they were actually seeing each other legit, but one could assume. So that year, 1932, Roland, Thelma's maybe lover slash director, had bought a Mediterranean-style building on the PCH in Pacific Palisades, California. He converted it into a high-end restaurant, and in hopes to amp up the buzz amongst Hollywood's elite, Roland asked Thelma, the rising star, to add her name to the establishment. So because of their relationship and her willingness to trust men, who are up to no good, this is foreshadowing for later, Thelma agreed. The restaurant would be called Thelma Todd's Sidewalk Cafe. So Roland lived up on the hillside above the restaurant with his wife, actress Jewel Carmen. Jewel was also a co-owner of the restaurant, so the three of them were kind of in it together, Roland, Jewel, and Thelma. So the two, Roland and Jewel, the actual married couple, eventually, quote, separated in the spring of 1934, and I say separated with quotation marks because I don't believe they ever legally divorced. But regardless, Roland wasted no time in moving to the second floor apartment at the cafe so he could be closer to Thelma. Thelma moved into the apartment with Roland, and their bedrooms were separated by just a thin wooden wall in August of 1935. So this obviously amped up the rumors that they were kind of a low-key couple even more. But I'll say it again, no one knows for certain if they were actually sleeping together. It just kind of seemed like it, I guess. So just for layout kind of geography purposes, like just giving you a visual. So the restaurant was on the first floor of this building. The apartments were on the second floor. And the third floor was this kind of empty space that they still didn't really know what to do with at the time. And it was just kind of there. So the first two floors being the most important for our story. On the night of Saturday, December 14th, Thelma attended a party at the Trecadero, and when she arrived back at the restaurant on Sunday morning around 3.30 in the morning, she found out that Roland had locked her out of the apartment, so the second floor was locked. The two had apparently gotten in an argument the day prior. He was reportedly growing increasingly angry with Thelma for all of her past relationships and partying tendencies, and he told her that if she wasn't home by 2 a.m., he would bolt the apartment door and lock her out. So sure enough, she got back to the place around, I guess, 4 a.m. at this point, which was past curfew, which is crazy. She had a curfew. Like, what? She's 29 years old. How on earth did she put up with this man saying, you have to be home at this time? Like, they they aren't married. They're not even like, what the heck? This is just, like, weird. Anyway, Thelma was a smart cookie, so she came up with a plan B. Even at 4 a.m. when she was probably drunk 
or who knows what after a huge party, she came up with a plan B because it had been a cold, windy weekend in Los Angeles. Temperatures were dipping to like 25 degrees Fahrenheit. She was outside in the dark, just in her evening wear and unable to get into the apartment. So Thelma climbed up the steps to the hillside. I told you guys earlier, there was a house up there that Roland had shared with his ex, Jewel. So she went straight to that house, went to the garage and got in her car, a Lincoln that she left in the garage there to keep away from the cold. Or at least that is what we think happened. So there are several theories surrounding what happened after Thelma allegedly got behind the wheel of her car. Either she started the car to keep warm in that cold garage, given the temperatures, dozed off and carbon monoxide poisoning killed her, or something a bit more sinister. On December 16th, 1935, so two days after Thelma had gone to the garage, her maid named May found her, dressed in a blue sequined evening gown and an expensive mink coat, slumped over the wheel of her Lincoln convertible, bloody and unconscious. Her jewels remained around her neck and her wrists untouched, A gold inlay, which had been placed in one of her teeth the week prior, was knocked loose from her mouth. But a curious fact, her purse was found next to her body, and inside was a key to her apartment, to the very apartment that she had been, quote, locked out of, that she tried to get into and couldn't. So this means she had a way of getting home the entire time. But why wouldn't she go straight home? Why did she go to sit in her car instead? Was she afraid to encounter Roland? Was there another reason? Was she meeting someone? Was she attempting to drive somewhere? Many questions. So back at the apartment above the restaurant on the 16th, Roland received a call from one of his friends, letting him know what the maid had found. He said, what's wrong with her? And the reply, May thinks she's dead. The coroner ruled her death a suicide. Cause of death, carbon monoxide poisoning. A grand jury ruled that Thelma's death was indeed a suicide, but this explanation comes up short for so many reasons. Thelma was found with a broken nose, bruises around her throat, and two cracked ribs. Apparently, the grand jury thought Todd also beat herself to death, but it just does not add up. And here are some reasons why I think something darker actually happened. The Los Angeles Times reported that in the three months before her death, Thelma had been receiving anonymous phone calls demanding $10,000 or she'd be killed. And apparently two men were arrested and charged for this, but it's unclear if they were the only ones who had it out for Thelma. Potentially there was someone bigger behind it and they were just the two caught. And it was said at the time of her death, Thelma had more than 100 Christmas presents for her family wrapped and addressed ready in the trunk of her car and that she had just begun work on a new motion picture. Doesn't really sound like someone who wanted to commit suicide, but I suppose it obviously is hard to know sometimes. Another curious fact that makes me feel her death was a bit darker. After the death was announced, people started calling police saying they had seen or spoken to Thelma at different times throughout Sunday, aka when she was already dead. Socialite Martha Hayward said that she spoke with Thelma personally on Sunday around noon to confirm her invitation to a party later that day. And there were other accounts as well. Something else that is super fishy, the autopsy results showed that shortly before she died, Thelma had eaten peas and carrots. And when the police inquired about the food served at the party that Thelma had been at Saturday night, it turned out peas and carrots weren't a part of the menu. 
So where would she have gotten this meal? I have a theory that she was at the party, got her chauffeur to drop her off at the restaurant, aka her apartment. And then when the chauffeur drove away, she was confronted by someone who grabbed her throat, cracked her ribs, threw her into a car, drove her up to the house, maybe threatened her along the way. I don't know what maybe went down in the car on the way to the house. Then they take her into the garage, put her into her own car. So it looks like she did it to herself, turn it on as she's unconscious and leave the scene. That would explain the cracked ribs. That would explain the the nose. That would also explain the fact that her hair was left perfectly intact. Like it was perfect. And after 270 steps, like I didn't mention this before, but the house was 270 steps up. So if someone was walking up that many steps, like 270, she has this like perfect up to like, that's like a long walk. I feel like her hair, something would have, you know, been in disarray, but she was somehow like preserved besides the cracked ribs and the nose. So I think that's what happened. Maybe made it look like a suicide. And then they worked with whoever this is, worked with the corrupt police because the police was corrupt to cover it all up. But okay, big question. Who was the killer? If it wasn't a suicide, who did it? And that's a bit tough to determine because the list of potential suspects is actually quite lengthier than one might imagine for a well-liked Hollywood actress. Let's rewind to Saturday night, the night of the party. Like I said, it was at the Trocadero, which was another popular restaurant in Hollywood. And at the party, Thelma's friends reported that she had a brief but unpleasant exchange there with her ex-husband, Pat. Pat DeChico was his full name. And... He was Thelma's only husband that she divorced. He was a self-proclaimed agent with some pretty dark connections, and Thelma had totally humiliated Pat when she divorced him, but the reason for the divorce is super unsettling. Pat would beat Thelma, pretty reminiscent of her father, so apparently they had a run-in at this party, which likely made Thelma feel pretty unsettled. But even despite the run-in with Pat, Thelma was the life of the party that night. She'd even made a bet with some of her friends at the party that she'd buy them free lunch at her cafe the next day if they could survive their hangovers. So she ran into her ex who beat her, then goes to seek refuge with the man who's supposed to maybe appreciate her, her business partner slash maybe lover, and he locks her out. Sounds like the most rough night ever, especially 4 a.m. having to figure out your plan, but This, honestly, this scenario, aside from, I mean, maybe including, but also aside from the murder element, is something that happens a lot in abusive relationships. And it's very, very sad, but it's something that, I mean, a lot of it has to do with childhood trauma. And I'm not a therapist. I don't study psychology in any way that, you know, I've gotten no degrees in psychology, but I do know that a lot of how you are in adulthood is because of your childhood. And Thelma had a really, you know, one of those rough upbringings where she didn't get love from her dad. She just got beat by her dad. She had an abusive, cold, unloving father. So she sought to find a man to make up for that. And Thelma was known around Hollywood to have a lot of lovers and affairs and things like that. And the reason for that, I believe, is because she just wanted someone to pull through for her. She was also forced into pageantry by her mother. She didn't have any, you know, father or mother figures that she could rely on. And she wanted to find someone just to, you know, give her something. And it's very sad, but it's really, really real. And it led her to repeat history 
with the men that she chose. An executive producer named Frank von Zernack said this of Thelma. She was drawn to men who were extremely dangerous. That was her Achilles heel. Playing with fire was a personality problem. She was abused and manhandled, and ultimately we think it's what cost her her life. It's honestly a really sad story because Thelma just wasn't set up for success in the industry whatsoever. She was poked, prodded, told what to do constantly, and was denied her dreams. She never wanted to be an actress. She wanted to be a schoolteacher. A fellow actress told Chicago Tribune that Hal Roach, who was a director that had cast Thelma early on in her career, invented something called the potato clause. He thought that Thelma had a, quote, weight problem, and it was in her contract that if she gained more than five pounds, she'd be fired. So her mother started her on diet pills at a young age, and she became addicted. She also drank a lot. I mean, no wonder people labeled her as this party girl that chose the wrong guys. She wasn't set up for success, which is really sad. So, you know, she fell in love. She got divorced. And after that, she really tried to get herself back on the right track. She swore off alcohol and drugs. But that all changed the night she met Charles Luciano, aka Lucky Luciano, an American mobster. He, if you guys know him, he notoriously split New York City into five crime families. He was the most powerful chief of American organized crime for some time. So obviously a shady guy, someone who was up to no good, but obviously he crossed Thelma's path. They met at the Coconut Grove nightclub, and he insisted that Thelma have a glass of champagne with him, but she obviously refused. Like I said, she was trying to clean herself up. She swore off alcohol and drugs, but he insisted and ended up pouring a whole bottle of Dom Perignon down her throat. Throughout their strange friendship slash maybe relationship, Lucky supplied Thelma with amphetamines that replaced her diet pills, and she became hooked on the pills once again and found herself wrapped around Lucky's finger. But surprisingly, there was more that Lucky was interested in than just her fame and her looks and, you know, stringing her along in all of these ways. He hoped to ultimately seize control over her restaurant that attracted all of Hollywood's elite. Lucky planned to set up an illegal gambling operation on that unused third floor and lure in big Hollywood stars and execs who he'd send stumbling into debt and have all this leverage over. Like He wanted to take over that third floor. But Thelma was obviously super against the gambling ring. She was really proud of her restaurant. It was one of the only things that she was a part of that made her feel needed, seen, and intelligent. You know, she was a businesswoman, and this was something that was special to her. So Thelma, Roland, and Jewel, they were the three business partners, they wouldn't sell their restaurant once they found out what the gangsters had in mind. Like The gangsters were trying to take over the restaurant, I believe, as a whole, but the three of them remained firm and were like, absolutely not. But this obviously pissed off Lucky and his crew, the type of people that you don't piss off. Like You don't want to be on the bad side of dangerous criminals with a deep hold on the city. A deep hold that stemmed all the way to the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office. And Thelma's death was investigated by this exact corrupt precinct and then quickly closed. Very suspicious. So I personally feel that Lucky and his gangster friends were responsible for her death or perhaps her angry ex-husband that had words to say the night of her death or maybe the ex-wife of her new lover, Jewel, that didn't want to split her business earnings three ways and wanted her husband back, or maybe Roland himself wanted her gone. 
like, what if, here's another theory, what if she had gone to the apartment after all because she had a key, like we said, it was in her purse that was next to her dead body. So she had a key to the apartment. Maybe she went to the apartment after all and someone was there waiting for her and she sat down with them, had a meal of peas and carrots that was in her stomach before she died and somehow things went sour. Maybe the person there had it out for her all along and you know, took care of her in not a good way and staged the perfect suicide, making it look like she had done it herself. Like maybe it was Roland. Maybe Roland was like, I'm sick of this girl that clearly doesn't love me, that loves all these other people and goes out until the break of dawn. Like Roland wasn't a partier. That's what I read about him. And he was a failed director. I also read that. So maybe he was, he resented her in that way and just wanted to, you know, have the business without her, the constant reminder of her always there, this, you know, bright shimmering star of an actress that was going places maybe he did it himself. Like I, it's really tripping me up that she had that key with her and that it didn't really seem like she had walked up all those steps. Like something about this is just fishy to me. It's a mystery that to this day has been left totally unsolved, which I think is so, so sad. I mean, yeah, obviously happened before modern technology, fingerprinting, things like that. But I just think it's so sad because obviously something happened here. Like, I don't believe that this is, she just, you know, happened to die this way. Like, I feel like there's so many things that are unexplained. The cracked ribs, the nose, the 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 death threats coming in the mail and the, you know, the, the $10,000 being requested and then the investigation being open and then closed quickly by this corrupt police force that the mob had wrapped around their finger and the mob wanting the restaurant, the mob wanting her out of the way. Like it's a super crazy mystery that has been left unsolved. The day of Thelma's funeral, the streets just outside were packed to the brim with mourners. She was loved by so many and I wish that she knew that before her death. The bright, hilarious, and lively Thelma Todd, nicknamed the Ice Cream Blonde and Hot Toddy, made 115 films, 115 films in her short career. If it wasn't for her gruesome and untimely death at the age of 29, who knows where she would have ended up? Perhaps she would have continued to shoot for the stars in Hollywood and became one of those household names. I feel like now we don't hear about her because she obviously passed away so young before she could really get into her career, even though she had done 115 films. Like, you know, perhaps she would have shot to the stars even further, or maybe, just maybe, she would have left the glittering lights of Hollywood altogether to become a school teacher after all. Roland, so Thelma's rumored lover slash business partner, continued to own the cafe with her name on it until his death in 1952 when it passed on to his new wife, actress Lola Lane, and today it houses a production company. So this has been the story of Thelma Todd, who is more than just a party girl, who is more than just a girl with daddy issues who picked the wrong men. She was more than that. Seriously, more than that. And, you know, I wish, I wish there was more. Like, I was trying to comb the internet for more about her aside from these, you know, rumors of all these lovers and the, the murder, suicide, potential suicide. Like, you know, I wish there was more about her, about what she cared about, about what she loved. Like, the really, the only evidence I found of, of that was her youth her being a great student, her wanting to be a teacher. And it just seems like after that, after she had that dream and it went goodbye, she kind of just accepted the fact that she would be this, this pawn in everyone else's game. 
she gave up all of her power because she didn't really have any other option. And it's just so sad. She was so young. She was so young. She started in the industry around 25 and ended at 29. Like who knows what her 30s would have held? Who knows what her 40s would have held? Maybe she would have taken control back into her own hands and had done something truly from her heart, truly from what she wanted to do, not what other people expected of her as this beautiful blonde that could act. Like maybe she was acting her whole life. Maybe she didn't actually do anything she wanted to do. I mean, the restaurant was definitely a glimmer of hope and she loved running that restaurant. I found photos of her behind the cash register. Like she loved that restaurant. And it's just, it's just sad, but it's, it's so real. Like this happens every day. People give up their dreams because they don't think they have any other choice. And because all these people are telling them what to do, the people that are supposed to love them are telling them how to live. Like it's heartbreaking, but it's really, really real. So this is the story of Thelma Todd. Thank you guys for listening. I want to hear your theories on what you think happened because, you know, obviously it is a mystery to this day and I don't believe it's ever going to be a case opened again, right? So let me know what you guys think. And thanks for listening, guys. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. I feel weird saying enjoyed because it was a murder mystery, but I hope you guys thought something along the way, got something out of this. And just now you know another name because I'd never heard Thelma Todd before. And I'm not extremely, extremely well-versed in Hollywood, but I feel that if she had gotten the chance to keep going and chose to maybe take more power in acting and I don't know, maybe we would have heard about her, heard her name. Um, So yeah, that's it for this episode, guys. I will talk to you all next Thursday. Bye. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.